0: Thrive, flourish, unleash your buried treasure. This is the Exponentially Empowered Podcast with Joel Vine. Through conscious action and authentic self connection, empower yourself to write your own script. Hey, it's Joel, hope you're doing well. Today I want to dive deeper into the psychological realm and speak a little more vulnerably about the power of self-therapeutic meditation. And hopefully this can be valuable for you in seeing how one can truly connect to the inner child in a self-therapeutic manner to create more self-integration, more inner peace, more groundedness, more harmony. I've been talking about this type of topic on the show of late, but I want to dive a little deeper and exemplify it, what it looks like in a meditation. And next week, we're going to continue in this realm of the psychological with my good friend Wes Bertrand who is the creator of Complete Liberty Podcast and Complete Liberty the book and Complete Liberty Inside Out the book, as well as Healthy Mind Fit Body Podcast. And he's been enormously influential on me in the process of introspection and inner healing and self-esteem development. So we're going to dive deeper into the IFS, into nonviolent communication, So today I want to kind of prime that topic and give you a window into one of the ways that I practice self-therapy through looking into the deepest parts of self in a meditation. I typically will do this in a 20 to 30 minute meditation on a Saturday morning and that's a routine of mine. That I do a longer meditation like that on Saturday morning. And I dive into some of these difficult childhood memories to connect to the child self in these meditations. And doing that on a consistent weekly basis has a compounding effect. So, oftentimes, we think we need to tackle a huge undertaking all at once, but if you were to invest in 30 minutes a week in this process, over the course of years, that could be enormously beneficial for your own healing and happiness as well as, let's say you're 25 and you want to have a child one day, well, this is the real work, as I've been saying. If you do this for every week for 10 years, that will exponentially compound in it healthy beneficial way and you will do so much good for your child in the process of parenting when you do have that child later on because the best thing you can do to parent in a nourishing way is to nourish your own inner psyche and your own inner child and reparent that child so i'm going to touch on a, a few memories that i tend to visit and how i go about healing those memories and you know these these are more perhaps upsetting to hear some of these memories, but and I feel a little bit apprehensive about even publicly sharing it. but I've decided that I want to, out of um, a need to to self-express and and help people potentially and contribute to, to people's own well wellness through showing that... It is a very helpful tool. And I also want to preface, before I go deeper, that the lens of non-judgment and non-blaming, shaming is so powerful here. Because when we talk about intergenerational transfer of trauma from parent to child, it's so quick in our culture to say, this person is evil, this person acted wrong. And even if it's the case that a certain action is not life enriching for a child, it is actually destructive for a child. It is traumatic for a child. When we can remove the blame, shame and good evil paradigm, then we can take away all these defense mechanisms and all this otherizing and finger-pointing and just take responsibility for the facts and have empathy for all humans while acknowledging that this was not life-enriching. When a parent is acting in a rage or a parent is passing down a destructive action, psychology, emotionally harming the child, physically harming the child, that's because they didn't process their own traumas, their own deepest hurt. No one would hurt another being if they're not hurt themselves. And so while the adult is always responsible in any situation for his or her actions if we can zoom out to the most compassionate lens and see humanity from, from a place of curiosity for what is alive in a person this is the realm of nonviolent communication and the saying in that is beyond right doing and wrong doing there is a field I'll meet you there Seeing what are the motivations behind a, a certain human and not judging. And I say judging the way of, of moral, moralizing. There's a, a, a definition of judgment that can be helpful, just evaluation of a circumstance. But removing the good versus bad. So let me dive in to what I do in my Saturday morning self-therapeutic Meditations. A little bit different than Saturday morning cartoons, huh? So, I will allow myself towards the end of the meditation, probably the last 8 to 10 minutes is when I do this. It's not necessarily the entire time. I kind of let myself feel grounded and find the breath in the first half of the meditation. And then I might revisit a scene such as when I was a young child, maybe 7 or 8 feeling scared in my bedroom at at, at night trying to go to sleep. But my parents were fighting in the kitchen. And my parents would fight frequently growing up, and that was sort of a continually pressing lowercase t trauma of not feeling connected, not feeling uh, safe at times because of the flux and the... Agitation and the disharmony and dysfunction through my parents' own lack of self-groundedness and emotional awareness. So they would be fighting about whatever the case may be topic, but it was always something deeper, a lack of, of communication and, and self-esteem. And so... I remember feeling worried and terrified and sad and sort of disconnected and on edge. So when I see this child, he's lying on his mattress. And the key in the self-therapeutic meditation is to sort of separate yourself from the inner child. and See that as a separate human and then come into the scene. So I imagine my wisest, current adult self, the truest self, coming in and s- sitting by his side and watching him as a separate being, watching him feel his feelings and inviting him, hey, would you want to tell me what's, what's alive in you? Or simply... Providing presence for the child. And saying, hey, I imagine that it's scary right now. I see that it's scary right now. I'm here for you. I support you unconditionally. I'm here for you. I love you unconditionally. I'm here for you. This is not your fault. Because as a child, we typically we're not quite sure how to make sense of things. And we see the world in a very egocentric way, just meaning we think that everything that happens in our environment must be related to us. It's very common and understandable that when the child thinks that something he's doing might be contributing to the difficult situation in the the household environment. So affirming that that is false for the child is very therapeutic. And saying, this is not your fault. And you are enough just the way you are. Because when you talk about enoughness, which is a common thing in our personal development, we want to not just put that affirmation on, slap it on us. We want to dig deep into the deepest exiled child self who feels hurt, who actually thinks he's not enough. So when you can get deep into this type of scene and affirm for the child from a wise reparenting standpoint that you are enough, that is where the the highest value therapeutic situation comes up. The highest leverage therapy is getting in touch with this inner child who's hurt. And so often in these in these meditations, I will. You know, if you were to put a video camera on me during this meditation, you would see me crying at times. And what's key in that moment, which you, if you were in a similar situation, you might cry, right? So it's helpful to see that the crying is the child self. And you as the wise, highest, capital S self, adult, can observe that crying. So I'll do that when I notice my body is actually crying in the meditation. I see that that is the part, the exiled part that is crying. And my wisest self is simply observing with compassion. And you're letting the child express what he likely bottled up Because maybe he felt scared to cry in the moment. That could be dangerous because then maybe the parent would get mad at him. Or at least that's maybe the way he perceived what could happen. And the more you do this, the more you can develop that integration with the child self. And the child self can begin to trust you as the new parent. And say, and, and, and perhaps in these scenes, in your in your mind, through this meditation, you a child feels motivated to to hug you. But what I've found is that you don't want to pressure this child. You want this child to feel intrinsically motivated for any action. And you can simply provide in the beginning presence and support and then you can invite them, hey, do you want a hug? That can be helpful. And then in, in the actual mind, in this meditation, you imagine, you see yourself, your adult self, physically connecting to the child self. And I've done this with a couple more memories. And I tend to, I've been lately trying to re- revisit certain memories to help Reparent in in different scenes, different ages, to continue to heal. Again, this is the real work because when you're not disassociated from these adverse experiences, but you're really honest about it, that's the first step towards living an authentic life, living an honest and integrated life and being creating inner peace. Because you can't get rid of these things by denying them by suppressing them they're always going to be inside of your body and mind this is the nature of trauma so when we can courageously observe and move into those memories then we create that integration we're not split off from ourselves we're not denying disowning, and evading things that happened right so we can become more integrated and true to ourselves in a daily basis and create more empathy and compassion for self and others. So the different memories, you know, one of the more sc- more scary memories was I remember that I think around that same age, maybe eight or nine, uh, and I can't remember all most of the details around these memories. This is a very common thing. You might have just a little quick picture. So you don't know, that might not remember the circumstances, you might not remember the before and after. But you can get a glimpse in there. And so there's one scene where my father was feeling enraged for whatever reason. He was feeling mad. I think he was trying to get his need for efficacy met. 'Cause he wanted me to do certain thing, maybe, and his communication wasn't effective, and so he turns to this typical parent dynamic of ordering and demanding. And of course that typically just repels the child more because the 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 child wants autonomy. So there's sort of these autonomy wars going on and the lack of efficacy in in persuading the child to do a certain activity, do a chore, maybe, that can trigger the parent's own rage and try to resort towards coercion rather than persuasion. Because the parent doesn't have um, more creative tools. And so in this memory, he was, at at, at some point, point decided to to what they call spank the child right which is a euphemism to hit the child to assault the child um to teach him a lesson right to try to create control to make sure that he stays in line so that he will behave the way that the parent wants him to behave so that that parent can somehow get a need for efficacy met i think and but but tragically, it's it, it's it's passing on the, the, the intergenerational transfer of trauma is striking a child physically, withdrawing love, and communicating that that child ought to be ashamed or is not good enough, and is not worthy of love and unconditional love, right? So at some point he had spanked me, and then I tried like running away. After I was trying to run away from uh he had finished spanking me. I can't remember the details, but then I started running away cuz I thought that he might spank me again, right? And then I decided to to dial to dial 911 cuz I didn't know what else to do as this young child. And I was needing support, I was needing comfort and um visibility for this experience. And I thought that that was the best tactic. I think no one else was home at the time that my brother or my, my mother were not home at the time. So that was the tool that I resorted to. And then I remember, I felt scared to call 911. So then I I called, I called, but then I hung up right away. And I didn't know that they, they would just call back if that's what you did. I didn't know that. So then they called back, my dad answered. I remember he was trying to kind of brush it off as like, Oh, I was just spanking him, you know, because in this culture, we're, we kind of have this like, oh, it's your child. Do what you want to do. So I won't go too much more in depth, but basically in, in my meditation, therapeutic meditation, what I do is I see that child who just hung up the phone. And I stand there as as the adult and I see that he is on the the, the edge of tears. He's whimpering, this young eight-year-old. He He's, he's terrified. He's alienated the sides of his mouth are whimpering and about to burst into tears but he's scared to even do that because he doesn't want to get into he's scared that that could again make it worse and he's just yearning for ease right for comfort and the nervous system just desires relaxation but there's this fight or flight mechanism, right? This cortisol, adrenaline being released. He's terrified. He's trying to be safe. He's trying to seek safety, stability, security, warmth. All these needs he's trying to get met, but he's, he's not. And again, I, I, I sort of crouch, I, I see myself in the meditation. I see my current self, my, my wise, self-esteeming, confident adult self crouching down sort of sort of a um, kneeling down squatting down perhaps and, and at, at the at the at the height of this child to level with him and say, Hey, I see you hey I'm here you're safe with me and if and if if father comes back, I will stop him you are safe because I know that as a as an adult self, I have the strength to stop him. But, and of course, as an aside, this is why you often see the spanking hitting. It sort of subsides as the child becomes a teenager because the parent subconsciously knows that the child or that teenager can can fight back. Um, but the, the youngest child is... Helpless, And there's the greatest power disparity. So another tool I'll bring in, though, is also I might bring in other people to the scene. Such as just close, confident, gentle friends that I have created, friendships that I've created in my adult life. And people that understand this, this mindset of, of this, the trauma is the root of the violence in the world. And people who want to, want to see children raised peacefully, I'll bring in people, a, f- a few people into the scene who might serve as extra protection, extra comfort for that child self, and maybe I've, I pictured, you know, another friend who's strong, who's who's a martial artist, who's gonna he's gonna be in charge of making sure that that my father in that scene doesn't come back. If he if my father comes back and he's enraged, that friend of mine he's gonna be the bodyguard. And then I might have another friend who is going to help provide empathy for the child while. Friend number one protects, friend number two swoops in along with my current adult self. There's, so there's three adults in this in the scene therapeutically stepping in and saying, Hey, we're here for you. We're, we're going we're gonna to protect you. It's not your fault. You can cry. Maybe that child wants to hug one of my friends or he just needs to cry and he just needs visibility from people who understand him. Right, He needs validation and reassurance that his feelings are legitimate. So I'll, I'll wrap it up there with those couple of examples of, of scenes. And this is not a common topic you might hear in a podcast and you might not hear someone publicly share And like I said at the beginning, I I wasn't sure if this was really what I wanted to to say today, but I feel glad to have shared it and hopeful, I'm feeling hopeful that this self-expression can be a model for a process of self-healing as well as a process of courage to to be honest about what happened for you what happened for you and oftentimes there's just a fear going back to the shame blame idea there's a fear that even acknowledging this is going to shame the parent and we don't want to hurt the parent, that adult, that that parent that we have right now in our life, perhaps. We don't want to threaten that relationship and throw them under the bus, right? That's where the, the power of non-judgmental compassion comes in. And we're simply being honest. And we're saying, yes, you were responsible for this, but I'm not... Going to point fingers and call you names because I know that this is the intergenerational transfer of trauma and I'm going to spotlight it in order to disrupt that cycle. But I'm going to mourn that cycle because I know that the reason that that parent did that to you was because their parent did something similar to them. It's simply cause and effect. So highlighting that, seeing it for what it is, is the key to disrupt the cycle of violence. So Having that courage to be honest and look, compassionately shine the flashlight on the psyche the deepest memories. It's very, very powerful. And you'll often see that after a a cry, if you're crying in one of these meditations, you'll feel better. You will have released the suppressed emotion. The endorphins of serotonin and oxytocin might be released. That's why our body has provided the mechanism of crying so that we will feel better after. and It's a wonderful thing. So, hope this has been helpful and feel free to let me know. Shoot me an email joel.bine at gmail Let me know what you think and if you have any stories to share I'd be happy to offer some empathy back to you. And thanks so much for listening and we'll see you next week when we continue to dive into these topics of the deepest internal work one can do as a way to grow and integrate. Take care.